Hey, good morning, New Life Church. I am so glad to be with you uh, this morning, and I am delighted to be able to share with you uh, the closing of our of our sermon series. We started way back in June um, and in July called I Pledge Allegiance. I intentionally waited on the last of this series uh, because I really wanted to have this special time with you uh, right now. And so I'm delighted to be able to do this. Uh, why are we talking about the Pledge of Allegiance in church? Why are we talking about I Pledge Allegiance here at New Life Church? Why this series and why right now? Well, it's a great question and it warrants a, a, a good answer. And the answer is simply the season that we're in, this pandemic season, isn't the only thing that has brought our country to the brink of, of uh, a frustration, um, of, of, of division. And so what I want to do is take a little bit of time and make sure that we're, we know we're in the world and not of the world, but we're addressing culture when culture is experiencing change or trauma or discomfort or whatever it is. And that's what we're going through now. The economy was open. The economy isn't open. The economy is open again. Churches are open. Churches are closed. Churches, you can meet together as long as you you don't meet together in, in, a, in outside of th- these bounds, and it's a crazy, crazy life that we're living in right now, and I know you know that. The, the, the fear that I have is that we're going to get so used to this crazy, crazy way of life that the, the old normal will, will seem strange to us, and so I'm hoping that we won't a- abandon altogether as a culture relationship and connection. You know how you feel like when you're in a store right now, and you've got your mask on, and somebody else doesn't have a mask on as they walk by you, and you're like, why don't they have their mask on? What we want to do is we want to stay away from that feeling, and I'm hoping culture will go back to being more relational and less distanced. Call it social distance and safety if you want to, but God didn't create us to be socially distant from each other. He created us for relationships. So there's uncertainty over the future, maybe your job and maybe maybe your financial um, capabilities of providing for your family. There's just some uncertainties that are there. Some of our senior saints are de- dealing with incredible loneliness. Uh, some of our friends that find themselves in, um, in nursing homes right now, uh, they feel like they're in lockdown. They can't see their family. They can't get out. They can't, you got to escape, if you will, from, from prison to be able to experience life. The racial, racial division that's in our country right now is, is rampant. I know it's been around for a long time, but it's coming to a head. The defund the police or defend the police, which, which side do you choose? It's division. This presidential election is in less than 40 days. Can you believe that? It's right around the corner. And now we have uh, the ability to have another Supreme Court justice um, uh, nominated and, and confirmed. All of this is happening right now. It's causing all kinds of division. The nation is polarized. The nation is, is divided. And so I feel like it would be very important and imperative for us to start this gathering by reciting the Pledge of Allegiance together. Would you join me in reciting the Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under god indivisible with liberty and justice for all i pledge allegiance I pledge allegiance. That's what we're talking about in this series. Uh, the first week we talked about what does it mean to pledge allegiance, and we defined that a little bit more. The second week we talked about one nation 
under God. And when we took that, we, we answered the question, how do we live as one nation under God in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile toward God? And we tried to answer that question and give you some, some, uh, some help in that area. The third week of this series, which has been now a couple of months ago, but the third week of this series, we talked about that one word, indivisible. And we said, how do we as Jesus followers stand united spiritually, even though we may have differences politically? We tried to address that question. Hopefully you got some, some helps that can help you through God's word. And then this week we're talking about with liberty and justice for all, with liberty and justice for all. The question that I want to uh, connect to this is how do we faithfully live for Jesus in a post-Christian culture? And I'm going to explain what that means in just a moment, but how do we faithfully live for Jesus in a post-Christian culture? Now, before I go any further, I want you to know that out of this idea and this concept and the writing and the messages and the research that I've done for this, the Lord, through people in our church, has inspired me uh, to write a book. So I invested a significant portion of my sabbatical time uh, in the month of August, my working sabbatical, uh, to, to try to put the framework of this together. And I, I did, and then I went back and redid it again, and I spent more time doing it again and making sure it's edited and it's done right. This short book, about 52 or 53 pages, will be released, we believe. It will be released after it's published um, in mid to late October. I'm trying to rush it through because the timing of this, in my opinion, is critical. Because it's an election season, we want to get this information out. And so I hope that you'll get a copy of this book when it becomes available. It's simply called... I pledge allegiance. So I'm a, a shameless plug, but I'm really hoping that this, all the resources that we put out here at New Life, whether they be online or in print, uh, whether it be books or, or curriculum that we develop, can be shared and can be used and can, be, can help people. And I believe people are going to get saved through this tool, through this resource, through this book. So praise the Lord. I'd like you to open your Bible. If you got your Bible with you, open it up to John chapter 1. We're going to be hanging out in the first chapter of John. To me, these are some of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. John chapter 1, beginning at verse number 1. I'm just going to read the first few verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. God is talking about right here, uh, he's talking about Jesus. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him, that's Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go one more verse, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it, or, or it hasn't, the darkness has not overcome it, some translations say. Now, I want you to jump down to verse number 14, if you would, please. In the verse number 14, it says the word, and notice that's capitalized. The word became flesh, that's Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, hallelujah, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth, full of let me, let me write it down for you. Full of grace and truth. I'm going to use a couple of different words for this. Full of grace could also be liberty. And truth could also be justice. Full of 
grace and truth, with liberty and justice for all. Full of grace. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Full of liberty and justice. Can you see how the, uh, the, the, the Pledge of Allegiance can, uh, got its inspiration, much of it, from the Word of God? Full of grace and truth, liberty and justice. I'm not usually a negative person. I think if you know me, you know that I'm a positive person. But I think there's some facts that we need to understand at this point in culture. At this point in our lifespan, according to Barner Research, I hope you've heard of them before, but it's a very well-respected and credible research firm. According to Barner Research, 48%, nearly half of all Americans now identify themselves as post-Christian. Almost half of the 330 million Americans identify themselves as post-Christian. What, what, what does that, what does post-Christian mean? Well, it's a good question. If somebody is pre-Christian, that means they, they, they're, when we're talking to them about Jesus, they've never really had a, an adequate explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're pre-Christian. They never understood or they never accepted the truth of the grace of God in their lives. So they're pre-Christian. They're going to get born again. We're believing, right? And if somebody is Christian, well, that's kind of self-explanatory. They believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. They, they believe that. But if somebody is post-Christian, this might be a new term for you, but if somebody is post-Christian, what that means is they're familiar with Christianity. They're familiar with Jesus, but they're choosing to intentionally reject God. Now, now they're doing that. It's not that they're not aware of Jesus and his plan for salvation, his plan for life and grace and freedom. It's not that they're not aware of that. It's that they, they know about Christianity and either they don't care or they don't want to have anything to do with it. They're post-Christian. 48%, nearly half of all Americans. Now, maybe you might say that stat is skewed, and I, I believe wholeheartedly in this research firm. But if you say it's skewed, and that's like 50% more than, then 25% of the, the whole nation is post-Christian. Any number is too much. But this is an exorbitant number of people. And I think that most of you would agree with me as I say that for years and years, faith in our nation was kind of the center of, of who we are. Now, if you're a person of faith, you're often considered to be on the fringes, depending on where you live, maybe in the nation, certainly on the West Coast. For years, being a follower of Jesus, um, being a Christian was considered to be something generally positive. But by some, it's now considered to be something that's incredibly negative. Now, I need you to know that I am not ashamed of the title Christian. Not at all. We'll say Christian. We'll say Christ follower. We'll say Jesus follower. Um, it's all the same. We're a follower. We belong. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. We belong to the family, and we're part of the family of God grafted into the vine. I'm a Jesus follower. In fact, what we're known as, as evangelical Christians. Maybe you didn't know that. What does that mean, evangelical Christians? Evangelical, evangelized. What that really means is it's someone who believes 
believes in Jesus, someone who believes in God's word, and somebody who shares that good news. So there's a lot of Christians that would maybe be entitled evangelical Christians, but they're not sharing the good news. And I challenge you, I double dog dare you to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, if you listen to the mainstream media that is out there, today, evangelical Christian is often associated with hatred or bigotry. And, and am, am, am I scared of that? The answer is unequivocally no. I'm not freaking out. I'm not going to run to the hills. The answer is we're not afraid. Because I believe as the world gets darker, the light of Christ that's inside of us is going to shine all the more brightly. Jesus did not tell us to go and to hide from the world, but he said to go into all of the world. I've had a lot of my colleagues tell me, why do you, why do you pastor in California? It's got to be difficult to do that. Why, why, do you, why do you invest your life there where it's, where it's so dark? Why do you invest your life there where you've got the government working against you? I mean, our churches are open. Why aren't your church? I mean, why, 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 do you, why do you, well, my answer is very simple. We don't run away from culture. We shape culture. That's who we are. We're followers of Jesus Christ. We are blood-bought and we have the power, of the, re the resurrection power of Jesus resides inside of me. We are the light of the world. But we have to acknowledge our current culture, the climate of our current culture in order to love and to minister to people in a way that will engage people and help to meet them where they're at. So how do we how do we faithfully live for Jesus in this post Christian culture. How do we do that? How, how do we, I mean, we could just get a little commune and just hang out with just a few of our Christian friends and try to live happily. Ever. We could get five acres and a, and a big fence and just kind of hang out, try to live by ourselves in isolation. But Jesus called us to live in relationship. I think the answer is found in John chapter one, verse number 14 that we just read. I'll write it down if you're taking notes. It says, once again, that we should live Jesus, Jesus let me just read it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, that's all about Jesus, who came from the Father, speaking of Jesus, and what was he? He was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Full of liberty and justice for all. Grace and truth, liberty and justice. One of the biggest challenges that we have as Jesus followers, as, as Christians, in the, and, and in the church today, is loving people with both grace and truth. Loving people with grace and truth. It's, it's easy, if we're not careful, to, to be uh, more weighted on one side than on the other. And God is calling us to, to balance. Perhaps the most powerful word in this portion of the Pledge of Allegiance with liberty and justice for all is that little word and. With liberty and justice for all. It's both and. It's not either or. It's not out of balance. Maybe some of you grew up in a culture that was more truth-centered um, that was more justice-centered. And so what might a person like that say or a culture, an environment, a family like that say? Well, the Bible says it and that settles it for me. Uh, maybe you're a sinner and you're gonna go to hell. 
Or, or maybe uh, where, there will, where the worm never dies and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All of that is true. All of that is true. Some of you are already dreading, I know we're still like a month and a half out, but you're already dreading Thanksgiving. The, re- the reason you're, you're dreading Thanksgiving is because you've got one of these people that will be sitting at your table. <laughs> you've got, you got an Uncle Eddie in your family that will be sitting at your table. And that, that, that's that guy, that, that lady in your family that's like, you know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. If it wasn't for all these young people, and you know, they just kind of carry on and on and on. And if they're, if, they're, if they're sitting next to you on the couch right now, just don't even look at them. Just look straight at me, right through the screen. Just look, keep your eyes focused. Focus on me. The truth is, though, the truth, the truth is, without Jesus, we are in trouble. But truth with no grace, it's out of balance. And it contains no relevance and no love and no empathy. And people aren't going to listen to that kind of... It, it will not, it will not uh, create or bring about cultural transformation, change. People aren't going to get saved because we're hammering them all the time with just the truth. What happens when you live with just truth? It's out of balance with no grace. If you're taking notes, here's, here's what happens. Truth without grace leads to legalism. And legalism means you follow the rules. And if you break a rule, if you, if you follow the rules, you're going to be right with God. But if you break a rule, if you, if you can't live up to those expectations, then you're no longer accepted by, nor are you right with God. And here's what I know. Legalism always leads to rebellion. Now you're like, Troy, I don't want to know what you know. I want to know what the Bible says. The Bible lets us know that legalism, it, it, it has, a, uh, it has a, a, a result, a payment for it. And the payment for legalism is always rebellion. What is rebellion? Rebellion is simply saying, well, I know what's right, but I don't care. Rebellion is, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not going to do it. Or I know what I'm not supposed to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's what rebellion is before God. You don't have to teach a toddler to rebel, do you? You, don't, you, you, what, you say, don't touch this. And what does, what does a typical toddler do? They look right at you. Maybe they got a cute little smile on their face, and they touch it. That's what toddlers do. They rebel. What they do is they test limits. And, and in those moments, you, as a parent, have a choice. You can be exclusively filled with truth and you can hammer them with all kinds of rules and limits and then when they break a rule, when they overstep the bounds or overstep the limits, man, you, you thump them. Listen to me, listen to me. The fastest way to raise rebellious children is to have rules without relationship. The other side is, is more grace than, than truth. This is more common, I believe, today in our culture. What might this type of a culture or family say? They might say something like, hey, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're happy. You're not hurting anybody. I mean, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves everybody. Live however you want to. Do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter as long as you're happy because Jesus loves us all. God wants you to be happy. So he understands whatever you do. I believe in Jesus, they would say, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I can kind of live and do whatever I want to do. I'm not hurting anybody after all. That, that would be a, 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 a overtly, an overly grace-centered 
culture. Grace without truth is out of balance. Why? Because it contains no foundation. It really is what's called moral relativism. It's a philosophy term, but it's, it's relativism at, the, at its core. And my fear, guys, about this is that there are so many people today that are getting little snippets of Jesus, just enough to make them feel good, but not enough to make them be different. It's, it's bumper sticker theology is what it is. It makes you feel good, but it doesn't set you apart from your sins and transform you into the image of Jesus. I, I've been watching the television and, and I went to Target earlier today and I went by the CVS pharmacy inside the Target store here in Lathrop and they have these signs up and they're trying to encourage everybody uh, to get their flu shots. And you see advertisements on television, you drive by the Walgreens or whatever it is and you see a sign out front, get your flu shot. I kind of feel like grace without truth, grace without truth is kind of like getting a a flu shot. I'm told that when you get, I'm not a doctor, but I'm told that when you get a flu shot, what they're actually doing is injecting you with a little bit of the flu virus so that you will build up antibodies inside of yourself and you'll be able to battle the flu when you actually get the virus. Well, um, you get a little bit of the flu And by getting a little bit of the flu, it makes you resistant so that you don't get it all. And I think some of you know where I'm going with this. My great fear today is there are so many people, maybe it's even you, and I I hope not, but maybe it's even you, some of you out there, that you've gotten just a little bit of Jesus, and that little bit of Jesus is keeping you from experiencing the glory and the power of having all of him, of having life to the full. You've got snippets, just enough to make you feel kind of good, but not enough to totally transform you into pursuing Jesus full time and living the way that he wants you to live so that you will make an eternal difference, an impact on the world in which you live. It's grace without any truth. Getting back to our illustration of the toddler, parents who have a toddler, you might say to your toddler, if you're more grace-focused, then remember the truth focus was like rules and limits, and I believe in all of those, but if they're not balanced by grace, then you have no relationship, and all you are is a fear monger in your home, and you're going to create rebellious children. On the other hand, if you're so grace-focused and and grace-cultured in your family, um, when you say, don't touch this to your toddler, and they reach out and they look right at you and they, they touch it, you have a choice in those moments. You can be full of grace exclusively without any truth, without any boundaries and limits and consequences, and you will watch your child evolve into an uncontrollable monster before your eyes. And then as a martial arts instructor for the last 30 years, well, more than that, almost 40 years of my life, um, you'll be coming to somebody like me or you'll find somebody else in the industry of discipline. And I've heard this, I can't count the number of times parents have brought their children to me and said, discipline him. And I'm thinking I've got him for one, two, three, maybe four 45 minute classes a week and you've got him full time, and you want me to discipline. I'll give him structure, and I'll give him, I'll give him encouragement, and we'll, we'll balance the truth and grace in here, but it's going to be you balancing truth and grace in your home. We can't just be full of grace without having truth, and we can't just be full of truth without having, without having grace. That's 
That's the point. It's grace and truth. It's liberty and justice. And we can't be out of balance on this, particularly as followers of Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of people that are leaning to one more than the other. And that is not the balance, the Christ-likeness that God has called us to. Jesus came full of grace and truth, full of liberty and justice. And that's the challenge for us, that we should be full of grace and truth as well. What's interesting to me is when I read John's gospel and I read to verse number 14, um, I think that there's power in not just the words that are there, but the order of the words that are there. And so it's interesting that grace comes before truth in John 14, in John chapter one, verse number 14. It says he came full of what? Grace, stay with me now, and truth truth. Grace comes before truth. Perhaps grace is listed before truth because we as followers of Jesus need to lead with grace. Now, I'm not saying more grace than truth, but we start with, we begin with, we, 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 we start the whole journey with grace. The church, for example, needs to be a grace-filled place. The church needs to be a safe place for people to belong, even though they don't believe yet, and they certainly don't behave yet. They, They certainly need to belong first. If we have an expectation that people need to believe or behave before they'll belong, how many know that simply doesn't work? We need to invite people in, people who don't know God, people who barely know God, people who are growing, people who are mature followers of Christ. Everybody needs to belong. That doesn't mean we accept the behavior. It means we accept the person. We love the sinner and we hate the sin, but we love the sinner first. And so we, 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 they belong before they believe and before, before they even behave like the Bible says they should. But the church hasn't always gotten this right. Let's just be honest. Sometimes, with very good intentions, we've led so much with truth that we've forgotten about the grace of Jesus. Here's what we need to understand. This post Christian world, this, this 48% of the United States of America looks on us and says, well, the truth is just too restrictive. It's too repressive. It's too oppressive. I mean, you're telling me these rules and things, and I'm telling you, not at all. It's not what God is saying. What is truth? Truth is freeing. It is liberating. Truth is life-giving. Whenever God was in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, when God said, you know, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for that one. That one is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you're not allowed to even touch it. In fact, don't even go near it. Just stay away from it. Eat from anything else that you want in this place called the Garden of Eden, this place of paradise. God wasn't being some kind of cosmic killjoy in that moment. God was offering them life and trying to keep them from death. You see, the rule was not, hey, stay away from that because that's all kinds of fun and I don't want you to have the fun. No, 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 no. He was saying, stay away from that because it's dangerous and enjoy the beauty of my creation that I've prepared for you, but, but that thing is dangerous. You see, the truth the truth is freeing, it's liberating, it's, it's not restrictive, it's not oppressive, it's not repressive, it, it's freeing, it's life-giving. The truth is not just a bunch of morals and ideas and rules and regulations. You know what? The truth is actually 
a person. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, get this, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. On the other hand, the church hasn't always gotten this right the other way either. We haven't always gotten this right with the element of grace. Sometimes the church has been so consumed, so focused on, on comfort of the people that we neglect the truth of the gospel. We, um, we elect to chase after what some people call the cool factor. We want to be a cool church. Um, a couple of decades ago, when I first started ministry, the, the a movement had just begun in the national church. Some of you might remember it if you were around for a long time um, in, in the church world, but the, the phrase seeker-sensitive movement began. Now, there's nothing wrong with being sensitive to people who are seeking God, trying to figure out their way spiritually. But what happened in that movement was some, some pastors and leaders took it to the nth degree, to the point that they changed their language, removed things that might feel offensive to people, like the blood of Jesus was never talked about, like sin was never mentioned in the church anymore. The cross was removed as an emblem of the church from the churches because we didn't want to offend anybody. Uh, things like that, it was taking it too far. And so grace, if you will, this freedom, this acceptance, this belonging, um, was uh, this liberty was given, but it wasn't balanced with, with the truth. And so um, people, let me just tell you the truth. People are not searching for a church that's cool. They're looking for a savior that's real. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Jesus condemned hypocrisy, truth but he comforted sinners, grace. When, he, when the people turned his the father's house into a place of profit or financial profit, Jesus was mad and he overturned the tables and he said, my house, my father's house will be called a house of prayer. Don't do this. Don't behave like this. That's the truth. It hurt, but it's the truth. Then he went to a tax collector and to criminals and he said, you know, leave your ways. You're gonna change the world. That's, that's grace. Um, Jesus called out duplicity and he slammed hypocrisy and he hated, he hated pretenses. That's the truth. But he loved the outcast. I mean, he touched the lepers. He befriended the prostitutes. Well, that's grace. Jesus came full of grace and truth, full of liberty and justice. I hope you're getting this today. Yes, John chapter eight is probably the best illustration of grace and truth that we see in the scriptures. I'll just kind of summarize it for you. There was this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Um, she was uh, freaking out. I mean, here she was uh, standing out in front of the leaders, the religious leaders, and uh, she had been caught. So they, I don't know why they didn't drag the man out, but they dragged this woman out, and here she is. I don't know if she's clothed or not clothed or covered by a bed sheet that she grabbed from the bed on the way out because she was caught in this act of adultery. We don't know the circumstances, but nobody's focusing on him. They're only focusing on, on her. And all of these religious leaders were taking this opportunity to try to trap Jesus. And they said, hey, Jesus, the law says that if, if you do what this woman did, then you have to be stoned to death. What do you say, Jesus? Well, Jesus does something crazy. He kneels down and he starts to write something in the dirt, starts to write something with his finger in the sand. We don't know exactly what he write, wrote, but I, I do like what I read that one scholar had, had, had uh, written down. They said, perhaps he was writing the sins of the men who were accusing this woman. 
And the reason he came up with that is because if you read in, in, in John chapter 8, you'll know, uh, notice that um, as Jesus was writing, uh, the older men began to leave first, followed by the younger men. So maybe Jesus was writing down the names of the sins, starting with the ones that were oldest and, and moving to the ones that were the most recent. And as they saw their sin written in the sand, they just decided, I better hightail it out here before he calls me out on my own. So we don't know exactly what Jesus was writing, but all we do know is they all left. And so then Jesus kneels down with this broken woman and he looks, looks at her. Every man that had been there wanted to kill her. And, and he says, listen, are, are those... Are those are those men here anymore? Ma'am, where are your condemners? And she says, there are none. That is grace. And then he says, go and live however you want to because you're forgiven. Is that what Jesus says? If you're familiar with the story, uh, that's not what Jesus says. What Jesus says is he says, uh, go and sin no more. Don't do this again. You're being given freedom and grace, but don't repeat the same bad pattern again. It's destructive. It's like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm trying to keep you from danger. Don't, don't do it. That's truth. Grace. There's nobody here to condemn you anymore and neither do I. Truth. Leave your life of sin. Jesus came full of grace and truth, full of liberty and full of justice. That's the Jesus that we serve. Can somebody say amen? What is grace? Well, grace is that scandalous, undeserving, irrational, lavish love of Jesus poured out for us on the cross. Truth, what is that? Truth is that chain-breaking, sin-shattering, intimacy-building, life-giving love of Jesus found in his word. When you get to know Jesus, the word made flesh, you can't help but to want more of him in your life. When Jesus came, he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to love the world. Grace, to set it free from its sins through the truth. Amen. Amen. So, I'm going to get back to my original question in this teaching. How do we faithfully live for Jesus in a post-Christian culture? How do we do that? 48% of the people, post-Christian. How do we do that? The answer is, we lead with grace and we never compromise the truth. We lead with grace and we never compromise the truth. Because when you know the truth, not the what, but the who, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When you know the truth, the truth um, will, the, the, when Jesus, the truth will set you free. Justice will set you free. And what is that freedom? That is liberty. That's the grace, the freedom that's found in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Man, I hope you get something out of this. We are living in perilous times. And I want you to embrace God's word. So let me pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that Jesus came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Help us to faithfully live with grace and truth. You know, I got to believe there's somebody that's listening right now. You're dialed in and you're feeling like your life is out of balance. You recognize that you're either too much truth and not enough grace or too much grace and not enough truth. You know, that when I say balance, it's not, a, it's not like sacrificing some grace and sacrificing some truth to be balanced. It's like Jesus came and said, full of grace and full of truth. But you find yourself out of balance. You're a little bit too um, full of, of uh, 
of liberty or you're a little bit too full of justice. Remember, it's liberty and justice for all. And so if you find yourself too far one way or too far the other way, then, and, and, and you're just like, you know, I know that I'm a Jesus follower, but I need help. I need help from the Spirit of God to get this thing right. If that's you, then, then we're going to pray for you right now. That's what we're going to do. Are you ready? You know it. Are you out of balance? Because if you're out of balance, you're probably not as effective as God has called you to be. So let's deal with it right now. Pray this prayer with me. Father, I, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. God, I thank you for a church full of people ready to pursue you and to embrace you, God. Give us, God, today, give us love for people. God, teach us to get this thing right. And Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see those who are in need all around us. Lead us by your Spirit to show that grace and truth in everything that we do, may we represent you well, Jesus. And while we're praying, I believe that there's somebody who's listening today who is maybe on your way out. And I want you to leave. Maybe you said, you know, I'll listen one more time and then I'm done. Or I'm not, not going to go to the in-person gathering. I've decided I'll just put it on so I can appease my, my husband or my wife or my mom or my dad. And you feel like you're on your, on your way out right now. In your heart, you've already started drifting away from God. And today you're saying, I want to come back to Jesus. I really want to do that. There are others who, who recognize, you recognize in your heart that you've been rebellious and you've sinned against God and you feel the guilt. You feel the guilt. You feel the weight of that. I, I, I know you do. You're trying to ignore it. You're trying to keep yourself so occupied and so preoccupied and so busy that you don't have to look in the mirror and think about what's happened, what you've done, what you participated in, what you started, what, what's going on. You, you don't want to deal with that. And you know if something happened today and you died, and, and you'd find yourself standing before God, but you'd stand before God guilty. You wouldn't stand before God forgiven. You need His forgiveness. You need His grace. It can be well with your soul if you'll simply give it over to God. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's not, it's not that God wants restitution. God wants your whole heart. He wants to forgive you and set, set you free. So would you just simply, if that's you, right where you're at, lift your hands up to the Lord and pray this simple prayer after me. Dear God, I know that I've sinned. I know I've fallen short. I know that I've failed. But I ask you, God, humbly from my heart to forgive me of all my sins. I know I don't deserve it, but I'm so grateful that you would forgive me. I invite you, Lord, come into my heart and change my life. Give me a new purpose. Help me to live for you. God, I need your help to stay on the straight and narrow. God, I need your help to live a life that is above reproach. God, I need your help for the rest of my life. I invite you and I ask you to not only forgive me, but to lead me and to guide me. I pray these things in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Listen, we're going to close this with a worship song, but before we do, let me just talk to you for just a moment about what's happening next Sunday. 
next Sunday in our, at our in-person gathering. We can't do this on our online gathering, and you'll understand why in just a moment. We are hosting a water baptism gathering. Since the COVID-19 season hit, we haven't been able to host a water baptism service. And I know there are many people that have given their lives to Jesus or have come back to the Lord and would like to make a public declaration of your faith by being baptized in water. We believe in baptism being full immersion. And because we're holding our in-person gatherings at 9 a.m. at the Boathouse in River Islands here in the city of Lathrop in California, because we host our gathering there, um, there, there are lakes all around us. And so we found the perfect spot to do water baptism next Sunday morning at 9 a.m. If your typical gathering spot is dialing into our online campus. We're delighted you're with us, but we want you to get baptized in water. And if you want to be baptized in water or would like to talk to somebody about that, I'd like you to just put that on, on the comment section right now. Just comment, I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized. And then we'll get in contact with you. We'll start a conversation. If you choose to get baptized in water, uh, next Sunday when you show up, you'll be given one of these great t-shirts that simply says, I'm all in. And you'll be able to wear this as we baptize you in water at a very special gathering next Sunday morning at 9 a.m. at the Boathouse in River Islands. But we need to know if you want to be baptized because we need to have a conversation with you. We need to talk to you about what it means and make sure that you fully understand and we're on the same page. If you got a child or a grandchild that would like to be baptized. This is not a rite of passage. This is a declaration of your faith. So whoever wants to be baptized needs to be born again. They need to have given their lives to Jesus. I mean, do we have to, should we have been in classes and should we have studied and done, gone through a, a, a series of Sunday school classes or anything before we, no. Jesus says right after you get saved, you should be baptized. So if you believe, the next logical step in your spiritual journey is to get baptized in water. Yes, adults should be baptized. Yes, teens should be baptized. And yes, kids, as long as they're beyond the age of understanding, they, they get it. And that's why we need to have a conversation. They understand. So we don't baptize babies. Um, we dedicate babies. But we baptize kids that are old enough to fully comprehend and understand that Jesus is their Savior. And they've been set apart from their sins. So if you want to be baptized, put, I want to be baptized in the comments section right now. We'll get your t-shirt. Make sure it's here. We'll talk to you and communicate with you. We want you to celebrate with us in this very special act next Sunday morning. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. Let's worship the Lord together this morning. Amen. Amen.